It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to be talking with my guest once again. Coming back for a second visit to the show, Barbara Jamanko. She's a keynote speaker, author of the book, great book, The New Handshake, Sales Meets Social Media. She's passionate about customer experience. She's a podcaster. Actually, she does lots of things. Barbara, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me back, Andy. It's my pleasure. So for those listeners who maybe hadn't tuned in the first time you were on the show, may just give a brief introduction of yourself. Sure. Uh, Well, I own my own uh, company here in Atlanta, Georgia, called Social Centered Selling. And so for a number of years, we've put a large focus on helping organizations develop their strategy around implementing social media into their their selling practice. Um, Those things are still important, but these days I focus even more intently on uh, helping organizations to frame the right kind of experience, starting with the very first interaction with a buyer all the way through to them becoming a customer and beyond. And as you said, I I am. A, I do a, have a podcast. I'm a corporate webcast host uh, for certain technology companies, and still do the keynote speaking. And one of these days, uh, may get another book out there. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, every time you say the name of your company, Social Centered Selling, I think, gosh, we should start a new company called Self Centered Selling. <laughs> That'd be a new book yes. title, perhaps. There you go. Because there <laughs> is a lot of that kind of selling going on out there, isn't there? I hadn't thought about that today. You said the self-centered selling. It's interesting <laughs> how we can throw that together. Okay. <laughs> so, speaking of which, so in your mind, what is the single biggest challenge for sales reps today? Single biggest challenge for sales reps today. I think the single biggest challenge is being able to frame a message that really resonates and speaks to what the buyer cares about, not what they want to sell. Now, to be fair, some of that is management's fault because I believe that a lot of the training these reps are getting, especially newer reps, is really more focused on product pitches and demos. But in my mind, that's the biggest challenge, Annie, and research bears that out. Buyers are really sort of tired of the pitch. They need to buy things, but they need people who are going to be uh, collaborative problem solvers who understand their business well enough to educate them uh, with some fresh insights. And so I think that's a real opportunity, actually, for reps who want to be successful going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that that um, I don't I don't think the situation has changed in terms of what reps are doing so much. I think it's ever been thus um, that that they're more pitching as opposed to asking and listening difference is now the buyers have more choices and you know that that is a big change and that that has a huge impact on salespeople. Well, it does. And, you know, I hear common complaints. We don't have time. We don't have time. We don't have time. Yes, you do have time, actually, because I've been in sales quite a long time, long enough to remember when we didn't have all these nifty tools and this thing called the Internet and social channels where you in business intelligence tools where you actually can go and do a lot of learning about not only individual accounts, but certainly if you're targeting specific industries, you can pretty quickly figure out what are some key uh, trends, key pain points, maybe some 
some competitive challenges that these organizations might be facing, and then take that knowledge, package it in a way so that when you do engage with a buyer, you're you're really speaking to what they care about. And so I think the problem is, Andy, we have too many people trying to rush the sales process. So in some cases, especially if they're larger B2B complex sales, you're not going to make a sale the first conversation. So maybe get over that and start focusing on how you're going to move the process along quickly. But you do that by understanding what the buyer cares about. And then you understand what they need in order to make decisions along the way, which I'm talking to the expert here. You wrote the book on that one. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was thinking about this whole issue in preparation for our conversation today. And yeah, sort of a common theme when I, no matter almost who I talk to. And it's sort of nature of someone of people we're talking to in sales is, you know, we're considered experts because we're solving problems that people have, right? And That's right. with sales and, you know, the customers and so on. But one of the common refrains that sort of comes up is that, gosh, you know, this has been a problem for decades. I mean, this is not a new problem. You know, where every t- every new generation that comes in, and that could be, you know, every new class of salespeople come in every year, let's say, or whatever you want to call it, is is you know we're treading the same paths, fighting the same battles in terms of having salespeople understand that, yeah, pitching first before you question and and listen, you know, understand the customers. These are all really important. So part of me thinks that maybe the conclusion. Maybe the only conclusion about the way we begin to really address this problem in a substantive way is to really focus on this is as an industry, not necessarily as individuals, is you know, having more formal education about sales. Agreed. Right. So that that it's available at the college level, uh, or you know, whatever level, vocational level, whatever. Whatever. And that there's some sort of certification or accreditation that takes place. I mean, that I think that if a young person today went to school, you know, 18 years old, business major, decide, yeah, I want to focus on sales as my area of specialty within my business major, they get in a, you know, two-year curriculum that that teaches them about this, that perhaps schools like uh, Northeastern, which you have great co-op programs where people go out and actually work for six months at a stretch or a semester at a stretch, um, you know, as part of their, their undergraduate education, is that if you can incorporate that type of learning in a college education, to me, that's, that's the only way we, <laughs> we start putting ourselves out of jobs is by you know, having people educate at least at a base level so they understand you know, through their education, they can come apply their education into the professional world. Well, I completely agree with that. I mean, if you think about it, sales is pretty much the only profession that I can think of that you really can go to very few colleges to get a degree like you can in marketing or, you know, um, any, any other thing you choose to go into finance, whatever it might be. And, that's a problem, I think, because um, a couple of years ago, the TAS group had had uh, done a major survey and found that some 40% of organizations are not onboarding sale, salespeople. They're not giving them the good consultative training skills that they need, uh, excuse me, selling skills that they need. 
they're getting trained on products and how to do demos. And, you know, we have a great college here, actually, outside of Atlanta. Kennesaw State's one of the best in the nation. They offer an amazing curriculum. And it's pretty uh, impressive in that it's backed by a number of major corporations. And I've I've been there and spoken to the group and I've seen some of the work they do. And then, and then they have this national contest. It's a super big deal. So this is a sales curriculum. This is a sales curriculum. And these uh, these these uh, students who come out of this program, they are like hired up immediately and they hit the ground running and they are super productive straight out of the gate because they've learned how to sell. Um, you know, even at the at the facility where they learn, they've got uh, rooms set up where they can be videotaped so they can practice uh, during the contest. It's really who can solve the sales challenges in front of them. It's pretty impressive what they do. Why more schools are not doing it, I don't understand. So perhaps we need more pressure from corporations to be insisting that those curriculums be put into place. Yeah, I wonder what the... I don't. I don't say resistance isn't really the right word, but you know why? Why that hasn't taken off, right? I mean, you certainly there are certain positions that you wouldn't hire somebody in an engineering position without a double E degree. Um, yeah, you wouldn't hire a nurse without a nursing degree. I mean, we can sort of go down the list of things where an employer wouldn't ever think to hire somebody in a specific role, and yet sales we sort of treat like. Um, I don't know. I mean, like anything that doesn't require, you know, that you just have on the job training for, as opposed to something that's treated as a a profession. And I, so that's right. That's it right there. I think there's this collective myth that, you know, salespeople are just born, right? Um, Maybe the colleges aren't feeling the pressure because nobody's asking for the curriculum. Maybe students aren't coming in saying, hey, you know, I want to get a degree in sales. I mean, I think as a whole, maybe part of the problem is this bias against sales as a profession, you know, um, you know, I've had friends tell me that, you know, when their parents found out they were going into sales roles, they were, the parents were mortified as if it's like some <laughs> horrible job to be in. I think it's one of the best uh, careers ever. And so I just think there's a lot of this collective, you know, stuff still stuck in the psyche that says selling is not a great profession to go into or and or, you know, it's easy to pick up and just do well, which it is not. No, it's it's certainly not for everybody, right? And it seems like a lot of, again, kids in college, you know, they make that decision, sort of some career, fairly significant career decisions as undergraduates. As you said, you know, be going into finance, marketing, it could be, you know, pre-med, da-da-da-da. Again, I don't know what percentage of them actually end up pursuing those paths, you know, professionally, but sales certainly should begin to fit into that mold. Uh, and it's it seems to me that's really the the only way that we're going to get to a point where we stop sort of talking about these basics like, okay, salespeople talking too much before asking questions and really, you know, great questions and listening to the customer answer, you know, being present. It's like, you know, that that's so fundamental to the act of selling. And yet it's having to be taught and retaught, you know, for every new salesperson basically that comes into the business. Absolutely. Well, then, and now, now we're starting to get into generational issues, right? So you've got um, millennials who are overtaking the workforce and they have an aversion to, you know, the telephone. Um, they, don't, they don't want to pick up the phone and call people to have these uh, the, these conversations. And yet I'm not sure how they expect that they're going to make a sale. It's not going to happen over a text or a tweet. I can tell you that. So, 
So, right, they're not getting the basics. They don't come out of school trained. They go into organizations who aren't training them. And you're right. These are not new issues, Andy. Um, you know, we keep hearing the same sad, sad statistics every single year about half the sellers out there not making quota. It just perplexes me then why don't more organizations do something? I mean, having a salesperson come in on the front lines, especially let's say inside sales where super popular, you know, sales development reps, business development reps. These are younger folks who don't have that training that we're talking about. And they come in and they're floundering around. They're not productive. They could actually be inadvertently without meaning to even be damaging the brand because of the way that they're presenting themselves. You would think that sales leadership would pay more attention to that and say, yeah, that's a problem we need to solve because we need these people representing us well. We need to make sure that they are productive as soon as they can be. I mean, if the life cycle of that position is, what is it, roughly 18 months? Do you, mm -hmm. do you want, you know, half of that being unproductive? It makes no sense. Well, yeah. And I think, I think part, of the, part of this is due to the perspective, and I'd be interested to get feedback from the people who are listening to the show, is that, the difference is that, that the view is that sales is still essentially an apprenticeship. That, you know, it's all going to be done, all the trainings could be done, and learnings could be done on the job. You know, in the look back 100 years ago when people, you know, were apprentices for specific crafts, you know, shoemakers and so on, is, you know, they indentured a, <laughs> a young, young boy into a household of, you know, a shoemaker, and that's how they learned the trade. That's right. It, and there's still people have that perspective. I just read it, uh, gosh, yesterday in an article online. Basically, it's just said, you know, sales is an apprenticeship, which it's hard to deny. That's what it is today. But it seems like we're perpetuating that. And it's not really, we as an industry are perpetuating that rather than saying, yeah, we need to get more educational institutions to really focus on providing people that have some more basic level of training in, in sales. And if they did, yeah, I think these people, the value they have and the ability to find jobs coming out of school would be greatly heightened and maybe address some of the issues you had brought up, which, you know, about, you know, I even hate to use the term millennials because I, you know, granted it's a generation, but, you know, I don't think their their challenges are much different than, you know, other generations have faced when they first enter the workforce is, is, yeah, but maybe it opens them up to, you know, different ways of communication, talking, understanding how, they really do influence the psychology of people based on the actions they take. Um, and they come more grounded with that. Then I think that's, that's gosh, that'd be fantastic. It would be fantastic. And, you know, and then also I'm a big proponent of what I, you know, I said earlier about doing the research, learning about the business. You know, this is another area where people need more training in this. I mean, I've done some programs this year where specifically was just teaching them how to go through the process of research, which, I would think would be pretty straightforward, but you can't assume that, right? Again, if they're not getting the help. So, you know, I find that sometimes... Researching prospects or... Uh, not just prospects, but, you know, the company, the industry, mm -hmm. uh, figuring out what core trends are or maybe three or four core challenges are, and then how you take that and spin that into a message when your initial contact is you're trying to get someone to take a meeting with you um, instead of defaulting to, well, let me tell you how awesome our company is and here is what we sell. And, you know, you'll probably be interested or using cheesy subject lines to get somebody to respond to you. It, it, it all comes back for me 
more about the quality than the quantity. I don't think pushing salespeople to do more activity when it's not good quality activity is really the answer either. Well, it seems to be a trap we certain segments of of sales seem to be falling into. At least my view and looking at these companies, working at these companies is, yeah, it's one of the things that technology enables. I mean, you've got these great sort of uh, transparent view into your process and what's happening. And I think that tends to, just from a human nature, tends to lead toward the the desire to have more activities <laughs> because you can see them, right? I mean, if you can see that, gosh, you know, I could see into everything we're doing, our activity level, our conversion rates up and down, you know, stage conversion rates, everything that's happening, and we're getting, you know, X out of it at the end, is what I think I see more frequently these days is that managers are saying, okay, we've got this process, we're getting X of it at the end. Rather than making our process more efficient, we're just going to do more things because that's the way we're going to grow that X. You know, to get to 2X, it's doing more things as opposed to saying, well, I could do the same level of activities, but if I could make them twice as efficient. Exactly. And effective, right? I've I've always said that should never confuse activity with effectiveness. I mean, if the, if the end goal, let's just, you know, we stay on the, the you know, the topic of uh, inside sellers, right? These business development reps, uh, sales development reps who are, their, their job is to really be prospecting and trying to set appointments. And then, you know, somebody else is going to come in and kind of take it, move that sales conversation to the next level. Mm-hmm. But they need those skills too, because let's face it, you you buyers right now are so jaded and they have so many ways to block us. That if you hope to break through any of the noise that's out there, you've got to stand out. And I see it as a key differentiator. But you know what I also think it comes down to, Andy? It's work. It's work. Meaning it's not easy. You have to, all right, so um, I know I have, uh, you know, 10 phone calls lined up today where I need to make X amount of prospecting calls every single day. Well, I also need a little bit of time to kind of plan. So I don't necessarily mean you have to go deep on every person that you're calling, though you should know something about them. But I'm not seeing sales teams where they do even some batch planning, like say, okay, these are the three industries I'm going to be targeting in my prospecting calls today. All right, what are the top three things that are going to resonate with buyers in each of those buckets? I just don't see people putting in the work. And I don't, you know, how else are you going to learn if you don't put a little bit of time into it? Well, I think that that's, again, and I don't, from my perspective, that's not a generational issue. That's just across the not board at all. with salespeople. Yes, I, I I totally agree with you. That's not a generational thing. That's across the board. I mean, I'm I'm surprised at the number of people who call me, and and there have been times when I've picked up the phone, I didn't recognize the number. It's a salesperson, and you know, hi, this is so and so. Um, you know, I'd like to talk to you about X Y Z. I checked out your website. Could you tell me a little more about your business? Well, yeah, no. <laughs> why am I why am I talking to you? Because if you couldn't spend the two minutes it takes to even look at a LinkedIn profile to get some sense of who I am, then that just says to me that you're not somebody who's going to uh, be a good resource for me. I'm not going to want to buy from you when you can't even take a few minutes to even understand who you're talking with. And I, I don't know about you, Andy, but I don't get on the phone with anyone without chatting, you know, checking them out for a few minutes. Doesn't take long, but oh, just enough, yeah. right? Everybody so I can does, make right. these right to make these mental notes about who am I talking with, who do we know in common? 
you know, what do they sort of care about? Do they have any, you know, charities or causes they're interested in? I look for these things that help spur an actual human conversation. And you're doing that as a buyer, potentially, yes. right? Which, yes. Which I think is is a part that that too many salespeople sort of overlook is that yeah, you know, you're looking for those things as a seller in order to make that connection. Buyers are too. That's right. And when I'm a buyer, when I have my buyer hat on, because right after I left corporate America and started my own business 14 years ago, I get a lot of the phone calls about buying, buying X, Y, and Z. I know you do too. So when I have my buyer hat on and somebody comes at me with the whole, I checked out your website. Can you tell me what you do? I, I, I almost have to like restrain myself and maintain my composure and be professional because I want to scream at them. If you actually looked at the website, you'd know a little bit about me, right? So, yeah. you know, what, and to ask a buyer to let me, you know, you're calling out of the blue, you have no relationship with, and you're asking them to give up their time to tell you about the business. It's ridiculous. And it's the reason why we see a lot of folks not progressing as quickly as they could in the sales cycle, because it's the starting point that often sort of, you know, hangs them up, right? And like I said, I think there's this, uh, I've, I've sat in it with salespeople, even seasoned, where the instinct is, okay, we're going to focus our attention. Everybody's going to prospect for an hour a day. And I will hear reps talk about the fact that if they get somebody on the line, bam, they want to roll into the whole pitch. And it's like, no, your objective was to get enough of a connection to schedule the meeting. And then you come back later, right? You've, you've crafted sort of your plan for that meeting and what you hope the objective will be. You learn a little more about the buyer. But it, it feels to me, I don't know if the pressure is coming from management or if it's due to what we talked about earlier, which is lack of training. But, you know, this business of thinking that the moment somebody's on the phone, that's when you roll into the pitch, I think is, is really hindering a lot of salespeople's ability to get the kind of success they're looking for. Well, I mean, do you see that as an outgrowth of the fact that they know they're being measured on their activity levels. That's right. And again, that's that is really not necessarily anything new, but it's it's never been able to be tracked at a level of detail that it is today. I mean, with the technology in the last several years, as we talked before, there's you know complete transparency. So managers know they pull up the dashboard. You know, how'd you, how many calls did you make today? You know. 10, 15 years ago, that was still somewhat opaque until well, until, right. the, until the rep filled out their call sheets at the end of the week. <laughs> Managers didn't really know. So I think that, that I think, you know, we're at this interesting inflection point where we have to learn really how to adapt this data that we have and integrate it with the human side of selling and the human side of managing people to sort of you know, mitigate some of these these behaviors that are going on. Because, again, I think it's, as an example I gave before, is, is too often the answer seems to come in the form of just do more right. of what we're doing rather than let's do this way better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then, you know, t- listen, I, I get it. People are coming up with these new technologies, and then now you have companies that have these phone dialer technologies. Okay, now you can push even more phone calls. And I still continue to say that that's good 
and to, to your point about merging then the human behavior, it's the quality of the conversation you're able to have when somebody picks up the telephone. And I just think that is a big gap. And I don't even think it would be that difficult to overcome if more managers were paying attention to that, who were, they were really asking themselves, okay, well, Susie's been making the calls and sending the emails, still not getting the sales meetings. You know, how is asking Susie to do more of those same things? The answer, I think the answer lies in evaluating more carefully. Well, what's happening if you're getting them on the phone or you're sending the emails? Is it possible that what you say and what you write is the reason why you're not able to move that conversation forward. And then, you know, I think that whole philosophy applies throughout the entire sales process, Andy. Let's say you do get the first meeting and you manage to do reasonably well and you move it to the next stage. Uh, Same thing. There's got to be quality interaction. I believe at every step, you certainly talk about this in your book about really understanding what the buyer needs in order to make a decision quickly. And that just doesn't seem to be getting enough attention in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think the whole right. I think one of the real opportunities, and and yeah, you we mentioned the introduction, and you talked about yeah, you're focusing more of your efforts on the side of the customer experience. Is people really understand that that customer experience? You know, defined into two parts: pre-sale and post-sale. Exactly is the pre-sale customer experience, which is going to dictate whether you get the order or not, where the post-sale will dictate whether you get a second order. But the that pre-sale customer experience, yes, starts from the first moment you say hi. And, and you might not get a second shot, right? You right. might not get a second chance. <laughs> if you don't do that well, you may not get a second chance. So, and so, right, and uh, harassing, I mean, this latest trend with emails, you know, you're getting, well, did you get my last email? Well, did you get the last three? Well, I've sent you four emails, you haven't responded. Well, okay, <laughs> either it wasn't interesting to me I'm busy I don't have time for you but, but what what is this business of you're now going to harass me because I'm not responding to an email from a total stranger who's adding no value to my life anyway it's just we, we it, it's almost it, it's almost funny but it's not funny it really does I think harm the professionalism of sales when you know if we want people to think about sales being a a a profession where people do good work and many thousands of salespeople do and they do a great job working with their customers we just unfortunately have a fair contingent out there that that is not doing a good job and I think when that happens it does harm the profession it causes more of that bias in a buyer's mind that says yep these salespeople all they want to do is pitch me so I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid talking to them for as long as I can until it's absolutely critical. Yeah, it's it's an interesting problem because I think that that um, you know there are some number of companies that are having success with this. Yes. So as much as you may think, you know, you personally, if you're at the receiving end, that phew, that's horrible and reflects badly on sales. Yeah, that's that's a fair number of companies that are actually finding success using that that model and what they look at it as saying well look you know I can't predict when this person's going to become available when they might possibly look at their their inbox so if I have this this cadence of contact or sequences of contacts that I'm doing which could be a mix of email phone and social and so on though it seems predominantly to be email these days I for all the 
the talk about incorporating social touches into some of these workflows for for SDRs. I, I have to. I've never never received one myself personally. Though I get the emails all the time. Is you know if it wasn't working, you know people would have changed already. But I said it is working at some point for a number of companies. But I think the question is, it just needs to work better. And I Agreed. Think, and I think that's the that's the part. You know, I sit at conferences and you know we talk about certain industries, their close rates, and they always strike me as being really low. You look at the model and you think, okay, well, it sort of makes sense that it's that low, but they have a choice. You know, we could continue to grow by doing what we're doing. And so we're going to scale, we're going to a lot more salespeople. If we go up market talking to to enterprise accounts, as we talked about earlier, then we'll do account-based marketing or account-based everything uh, to penetrate those accounts, but then we still have to scale these others. And the answer typically always looks like hire more salespeople to do just what we're doing as opposed to how do we really radically transform this process to create a different outcome at a more at a higher rate in a predictable fashion. Yeah, I mean, well said. I couldn't agree more. I think that's really uh, the answer. And that requires organizations taking a step back and looking at the process and really evaluating uh, these various things that they have happening. Because I feel the same way when I hear, oh, you know, um, we'll hire more salespeople. Well, how is hiring more salespeople going to help you if hiring more salespeople who are doing the same (laughs) kind of work that's already happening, it's not going to move the needle for you? Mm. So I really do feel like there's that balance of quality plus quantity. I mean, let's face it, we've got all this great technology and that's fantastic. But in the end, people are buying from people. I mean, unless you're in a a consumer oriented kind of a world and, and what you sell is transactional, you know, every sale that I've ever been involved in, I needed to talk to people. So, you know, technology can get you started but then you're the salesperson. It's the quality of what you do that then starts to make the difference. That's why I'm a, I became a big fan a few years ago. I mean, I always believed in this, but I became a big fan of Google's uh, Zmot theory. Mm-hmm. Zero moment right? of truth. Zero moment of truth. And at every stage in an interaction, whether it's directly with the buyer or other people in the organization who might be influencing uh, the sale, it all makes a big, big difference. But I, I agree, obviously, organizations must be getting some measure of return out of it. Uh, Otherwise, they probably wouldn't keep doing it. But then there are other companies I know that kept doing those same sorts of things and ultimately had to hang it up, right? They had to close their doors because they were not I'm bringing in the revenue uh, that the the way that they needed to. So, you know, again, I think about this whole business of a professionalism of sales. If revenue is such an important driver, I just Again, scratch my head. Why are we not ensuring that more sellers have really got the right kind of structured uh, training so that they can be really good salespeople instead of the whole shoot from the hip, I'll learn it on the job, maybe I'll follow around the top seller and do what they do. I just, I think it's, you, you go to all this effort to develop great products and services, and then you don't put enough emphasis on the people who really ultimately need to sell them. Well, I think that that one thing, so, and this could be a whole other conversation, but I think we need to think about, okay, well, really, where's where's this problem emanate from? And, and I think it really emanates from the man, frontline management level. Yes. 
So, you know, there's too much of a reliance to say, look, let's just train people. But, you know, I look at my own development throughout my career. And the, what the really instrumental things I learned, I learned from my managers. You know, people that were mentoring me and coaching me. More coaching me than, than mentoring, right? But maybe modeling sales behaviors. And so, I, I know we don't don't have time to dive real deeply into this here on this episode, but but yeah, look at all this. Is how do we reinforce behaviors? Well, it's through consistent contact with the coach that's observing what they're doing and providing the feedback. And so, you know, training itself, the one and done. We all know that that you know people tend to forget what they've learned fairly quickly unless it's reinforced. Well, who's going to reinforce it? it? Really has to be the managers. Well, you're right about that. We could have uh, many shows talking about that topic because training is not an event. It's a it's a process and it needs to be ongoing regardless how many years you've been in sales. I mean, I've been in sales for a very long time and I look to improve my skills every single day. Not a day goes by that I don't read about something related to the profession. I think about ways that I can do an even better job at what I'm doing and it I mean, you can't just tick the box and think no. one training or one kickoff session is is really going to uh, to to change things. You know, again, I I'm not going I'm not going to go to one training to learn how to be a surgeon, am I? <laughs> you well, know? not here at least. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it, again it gets it's, it gets back to this bigger thing, which is why isn't sales treated? like a serious profession because it is a serious profession and people who do it well do well by their customers. Everybody wins. Uh, you can make a great living. I think that is ultimately at the root of it. There are still some biases around, you know, what sales is and isn't, I think. Yeah. Well, I think hmm, that's a good question. That's another one we could, <laughs> could spend an episode on. Um, Without a question, we could, we collectively could uh, help address some of that just through our our actions. But I think that it's, I think also we have to keep in mind that when we approach people is they have their defenses up, they have their perception somewhat already in mind of what they think the interaction is going to be like. That's right. Unfortunately, it's true. Yeah. So even even the best, um, you know, can find challenges in that regard with you know, prospects and customers, buyers that just say, yeah, this is going to be a waste of my time. I'm doing it because this is, you know, the only way we're going to get this whole process started, but sort of stealing themselves for the 15, 20 minutes they have to spend with you, even if you're really good. So it's, I agree. I mean, we sort of all start behind the eight ball a little bit, but uh, much like we talked about early on with, with the increase in professionalism through having more people entering the workforce with professional educations in sales or professional certifications on sales it's all part of the cycle i think we get that process going then ultimately over time buyers attitudes will change because their experiences will change with the people absolutely and and as each of us individually as salespeople make a commitment to changing the buyer's perception i think that goes a long way too i mean you know as you said it's not uncommon i'll get on a call with a customer and sometimes they want to start off with well, let's talk about your services. And I'll say, well, you know, we can we can get to that. And what's more important to me is to have a better understanding of what 
why you wanted to have a conversation in the first place. You mm-hmm. know, what what problem are you trying to solve? And then then let's uh, let, let's talk about that. Actually, funny story. Um, a company that I am striving to do business with. I got on the call with the uh, the the executive, and uh, we chatted for a couple of minutes. And he says. And by the way, I make it a practice in 30 minutes. I don't I, five five minutes at the end, maybe. Hopefully, by that time, we've already been talking about potential uh, solution options. But you know, I leave all that stuff about me, the company, the services to the very very end. I want to maximize the time with the buyer. But I had to chuckle because we're a few minutes into the conversation, and and uh, and I could see that we were kind of thinking like mindedly. And he says, "Well, Barb, why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me about your pricing?" And I just stopped for a minute and I said, yeah, we're not really ready to talk about pricing. I still don't have a a super clear understanding of the outcome you're looking for, what you consider to be success metrics. And, you know, you've told me a little bit and I did a little homework, but I think there's more conversation we need to have before we talk about pricing. He stops, he laughs, he says, wow, you're good. I was trying to trick you. (laughs) It was kind of, it was kind of funny really, but the moral of the story is, you know, don't fall into the trap, right? Don't fall into the trap of the buyer leading you down the path of, hey, tell me all about your stuff or give me your pricing when it's maybe too early for you to be having those kinds of conversations. Right. But, but without a lot of training and experience, you might not know to do that. Well, and see, I, that's the point I made earlier is I don't think it's much training, though, so you want to expose people to it, but it has to be reinforced every day by the frontline manager that's observing this person in action. Uh, Absolutely. Listening to calls, going on calls if they have, you know, remote meetings with the prospects. And that sort of constant feedback is is what really people really need to to improve. So so Barb, I have some rapid fire questions we're gonna end the show with. Oh since boy. You, since you've been here before, you got a different set <laughs> than you had last time. <laughs> well, let's hope you don't hang me up because I don't know. I don't I don't remember what how it went last time. <laughs> oh, it's fine. <laughs> Trust me. So first question. We have four questions. First question. In your mind, is it easier to teach a technical non-salesperson how to sell or teach a salesperson how to sell a technical product? I think it's easier to teach a salesperson how to uh, learn a technical product. That was my experience. Okay. Personally. Personally. Okay. So what's one great literary book you think every salesperson should read? A novel or a non-business book, just something completely different, but was influential for you? Well, that's an easy one because I'm reading it right now and it's called Deep Work. Okay. And it's all about uh, really learning how to think more deeply and avoid all these short-term distractions Fantastic book. Highly recommend everybody read it. Almost, I've almost read the whole thing in one sitting. Oh, it's just that impactful. We'll borrow yours then. There you go. And who's the author? I don't remember his name. Khan something. Anyway, if you look up Deep Work, you'll find it quickly. It's pretty popular. It just came out uh, last year. Okay. So next question is, if you could change one thing about your business self, what would it be? I could change one thing. Well, one of the things I'm changing about my business self is making sure that I'm not falling victim to, um, 
you know, the next bright, shiny object. So when I get on a path, I'm really working hard to make sure I stick to it until mm-hmm. it's done. And that's why this book, Deep Work, is really impacting me because it's making the case for how important it is for you to really focus your attention on things that are important and go much deeper. So that's the one thing I'm working on changing. Okay. So last question for you. Do you have a favorite quotation or words of wisdom that you live by? Yeah, I guess I do. It's from the Buddha. You are what you think about. Okay. Like right? I mean, if, uh, if you if you think negative thoughts, you think you can't do it, well, that's, you know, as Henry Ford once said, whether you say you can or you can't, you're, you're right. Right, right. So uh, I'm, a, I'm very much a big fan of focusing my attention on what I want in my life, what I want to attract in my business, the kinds of clients I want to work with, people I want to partner up with. And I stay very, very focused on those positive elements. It doesn't mean that I'm a Pollyanna and, and you know, negative things don't happen. But I really do believe that the quality of your thoughts determine the quality of your life. Well, I think that's, yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. All right. Well, Barb. Thanks for joining me again. Tell folks how absolutely. They can- ha, thanks for having me on. I always appreciate it. It's uh, these these conversations are important, and I appreciate you including me. Well, honored you join me. So, tell people how they can find out more about you. Absolutely, you can find me on LinkedIn, Barbara Giamanco. Visit the blog barbaragiamanco.com. Company website is scs-connect.com. I'm good with the telephone. You can call me here in Atlanta at four zero four. Six four seven four nine two five, or find me on Twitter at Barbara G. Monko. Essentially, just Google or Bing my name, and you will have no trouble finding me. Yeah, and that's. Uh, <laughs> I have a digital footprint. <laughs> you have a digital footprint. Yes, you do. All right, Barb. Thanks again, and friends. Thank you, thank you for spending this time with us. Remember. Make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Barbara Giamanco, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. Now, if you enjoy Accelerate and the value we're delivering, then please take a quick minute right now to leave your feedback about this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. It would be very much appreciated. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.